Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Howdy, folks. Happy Tuesday. We are here. We have some things to discuss. Uh, tomorrow, we'll be doing the show at 11 a.m. We're going to have Peter Harling, who was on a couple weeks ago, uh, discussing some prospects with Russ and myself. More with Russ, because I don't know as much as Russ does. Um, and, you know, right now, it looks like it, it, nothing's been voted on, nothing's been decided, but it, it's starting to look more and more like the June draft is going to happen. I'm not. I'm still not in, really in favor of it, but, you know, I think Gary Bettman's got the whip hand, and he's going to probably get his get his way we'll still we'll talk about that and some other stuff in a few <clears throat> few minutes excuse me uh but we'll start with uh what do you want to start with uh, the frank gore signing russ yeah let's do that real quick i i did just write an article that's up on sportsology the only thing i'm going to say is this is peak jets the jets always sign a guy way after his prime they always sign a guy to satisfy a coach and Joe Douglas is no different than any of their other failed GMs that decided to bring in a buddy or someone. And listen, I like Frank Gore. I think he's a great guy. I think he's great for a team. Mm -hmm. But if you think you're going to see the same Frank Gore that you even saw in Buffalo with the difference in offensive lines between the two teams, good luck. Well, Jan, let me say this. Frank, like you said, Frank Gore did have a very positive effect on uh, Devin Singletary, the rookie running back. I think Frank Gore's son – is going to the same school that Singletary went to. So there was a, he was basically like a father-son type of relationship. He really helped him out. Um, but I know for the and, – and the Bills were lucky that they had Gore when Singletary got hurt in, I think, week two because Gore had to handle the number one duties for four or five weeks. But by week 12, he was almost a non-factor, and he was not a big factor in the playoffs either. So – I don't know how much gas is left in the tank. That's the only thing I'm concerned about when it comes to Gore. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. With, I mean, look, I, I remember watching Gore at the U. I was obviously, you guys know, I'm a Niners fan, so I was very happy when he went to the Niners in terms of the draft. Um, they drafted a running back Go Niners. in the fourth round, right? They wanted, they got Perrine, a guy with a guy Perrine who might be the. Uh, might be you know a, a good committee back, right? Not the guy who'll be a number one down the road, but he also doesn't really have speed. He's one of those that can do a little bit of everything, but he's not one who's a speed back, and that's something the team lacks. And look, Gore, they've talked about reducing the workload on on Le- Le'Veon Bell, um, given how much he used him last year, and maybe this is a way to kind of balance that load off a little bit. Look, if it's, if it's a low You're, dollar We're all assuming that the game is going to have a running go crazy, But I, I don't get in terms of why they're doing it. I mean, we're all assuming Gase is going to have more running plays than last year, which he won't. Well, he won't. This guy's a passing guy. He's not going to do it. The low on Bell would have been to get somebody who can catch the ball out of the backfield. Well, let's, that guy. Let's, let's just say this. He's got to find a way to take some of the pressure – uh, off Darnold, and obviously, I know that they drafted a first-round pick uh, offensive lineman, but I, I don't suspect that their offensive line is going to be so much better this year as opposed to last year. You're going to need a running attack. You're going to need a running back who can block, which Gore can do. He can do uh, that. Yeah. So I mean, it helps them a little bit, but in a perfect world, they sh- again they should have added 
two or three offensive linemen, and they they drafted a first round pick offensive lineman, and you know they're, I mean I don't know I don't know I don't know what the plan is there, but I think that you know the the mono from last year set Darnold back, and Gase, uh, you know he's a weird coach. I, I I don't I don't get him sometimes. There is a relationship between him and Gore uh, going back to Miami, so uh, you know that that's a positive, but. I don't know how much of an effect it's going to have for for the Jets. Now, while we w- watch Jan do a screen calisthenics here. Um, <laughs> Sorry. It's Got a, I couldn't hear you guys. I, I had to drop and come back in. No, no, no problem. No volume That's at fine. all. No problem. I saw um, Jeff Passan, who covers Major League Baseball for ESPN, post a bunch of bat flips uh, from the Korean League, which ESPN started covering, I believe, last night because it was their season season opener there. One, 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 one a.m. Eastern time it went on. Yeah, I'm not staying up that late to watch bad baseball. I, I love how they waited till their season started. Remember, I was talking about the preseason like a month and a half ago, and I did try and watch, and it wasn't great. So I'm not going to watch this either, unfortunately. Look, let me just say this. The bat flips that Passon retweeted made, uh, made Jose Batista look like he was understated. They were like, you know, basically f- almost firing the bat into the crowd, you yeah. know, flipping, flipping it off. I mean, I'm surprised that somebody in the batter's box didn't get concussed. I mean, it's, it's a different culture. I, I, I don't think you could, we could ever match up the differences in culture. Remember you can't do that in major league baseball because the guys in 1920 didn't do it and they didn't like it. So now everybody has to pretend they don't still like it. They don't have that in, 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 South Korea. They don't care about any of that. Yeah, but in 1920, uh, you know, in 1920, there were guys sharpening their spikes to to uh, draw blood on on third baseman when they slid in the third. So yep. it is a different. Always. It is a different game now. All right, uh, let's get started. Hello, hockey world. Today is Tuesday, May fifth, twenty twenty. Cinco de Mayo. I'm Jan. I'm Jan Levine. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And this is not a Corona. I'm Michael Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. I, I think I'll get some Dos Equis later. Um, right. Yeah, it, it's Dos Equis are good. I like Dos Margarita. Equis. Yeah, no, 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 I don't think so. Uh, all right, let's let's start with this because Ross said uh, there was some breaking breaking news just as we went to air, and in and of itself, it doesn't have anything to do with the NHL, but maybe it does in terms of what is going to happen in terms of the game getting back. Russ, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I had ESPN on, and I swear they – I know they were talking about some NBA teams reporting as early as this week, and I swear they said a few tomorrow. And so clearly it's gotten very close here, and that's a pretty big deal because once one sport does it, that's going to really open things up for all the other sports to follow suit. And right now it does seem like the NBA is – doing this slowly yeah um I mean, uh, look I, I i still think that we're rushing this a little bit right it's we it's, all do the, the fear the fear of a relapse is, is certainly palpable and even if talked about you know in south korea we talked about the, the baseball league, right if one person that's positive everything kind of shuts down for three weeks mm-hmm. we're, we're clearly not out of the pandemic completely yet given some of the um projections that have come out from the government recently Right, concerns in terms of the number of deaths, unfortunately, spiking. I understand that all, all of us want sports, which is why people are going to be watching Korean baseball at 1 o'clock in the morning on the East Coast at night if they're having a Jones for something. Um, and there's other people that are covering this and reporting on this. So all of us want sport. But 
part of it is being smart, right? You don't the, the last thing that any any league wants mm-hmm. is to start, then God forbid somebody gets sick or material or, or very sick, and then having to halt everything, and now you're back even below ground zero because you've now had to recalibrate everything. And if that happens again, trying to finish the season is almost going to be an impossibility. Well, see, the thing is, and, and okay, right now I think the problem for like for us, me being in Buffalo. Jan, Jan, and, and Russ being in the tri-state area, you know, we're in the epicenter of where this is the worst. I think I saw the stats today that twenty-five thousand people in New York have passed have passed away. I think it's like over seven thousand in New Jersey. The numbers for the rest of the country are significantly lower than those. I think New York and New Jersey are the two most struck states of, of, of COVID-19. So, you know, I mean, I think that we should be careful, but I, I think that like we're, we're in ground zero and it, the attitude of people outside of this area, outside of Buffalo, outside of New York city, outside of New Jersey is more like, let's get going. And I, I, I don't think those people can be sort of like, criticized because in their areas this isn't as severe as it is in our areas again it's still everything still has to do with testing right so sure we're not getting all the right numbers we're not and there's also the biggest problem that we're going to have when everything starts up again and all these things start is that we are going to be tone deaf to the amount of deaths that have occurred and will occur in the future and and that's where there could be a problem like Jan's talking about because we talked about it yesterday. If you don't have enough testing in a certain area, how do you really know it doesn't exist in your area? You don't. You're still guessing. And a lot of this is still guesswork. So, I mean, right now, as it stands now, the NHL had their board of governors meeting yesterday. Everything came out of it from everybody who's an inside source like Elliot Friedman or Chris Johnston or Pierre Lebrun or Bob McKenzie is that, no vote is going to be held. They don't think a vote's going to be held this week. But, Russ, we still think that it's headed towards the June draft. And we know that there are still a lot of people who don't want this, but it's almost like they're screaming into an echo chamber. Nobody's hearing them, and the league is just going to go go about their business and do this no matter how many people don't want it. Okay, there are three things that have been and continue to be ignored. The first one is when we talked about the broadcast partners, when Gary Bettman said our broadcast partners like the idea, that was the first hint that he was going to push this through. Right. The second one is it's up to Gary Bettman and nobody else. He's got the, the the full power to do this. The third one is it's in the CBA that the draft must be held in June, by the way. It's written into the CBA. Nobody's talking about that part and that fact. And well, that's that's on the assumption that the season has ended but, in. But again, that is what the CBA says, right. and to not have it in June, you've got to come up with a really good case to not have it in June. So those are the three big things that I think for a long time certain people were ignoring. Well, um, I mean, I think that's. I mean, I think you're. I think you're right. I think. See, the thing is, is like I think Batman sees an opportunity here, sees the chance to um, get a advantage over, say, the NBA or fill the vacuum for at least two days to say, we can provide you content. I get that. 
I don't think that the positive aspects of having the draft will be anywhere close to what the NFL had. You know, they're not going to get 16 million viewers. They'll get some. And people who are jonesing, they will turn on NBCSN and see what their favorite hockey team is doing. I know it'll get big ratings on Sportsnet and on TSN because, like, TSN is doing, like, the all-time seven Canadian teams right now and, and arguing and bickering over that. And, you know, we did that too, and we're just trying to fill time. But, you know, if there's something of consequence, like the draft, then it's something interesting. I just don't know how good of an idea it is. And I also, you know, I mean, I know I know the reason why Eck talked about trades at, at the draft, because that's what a lot, I mean, that's what a lot of people want. They they really don't even care about the draft picks. They'll care about them three or four years down the line. They care about what trades are being made. And if you're gonna go with a sanitized draft that has no trades, they may not tune in. You know what? Then don't watch it. The right. draft is not a day for trades. The draft doesn't spark. The draft does not I... spark tons of trade. The draft is about prospects and drafting. It's not about that. And and I guarantee you that the no matter what happens, and we know it's going to be just picks for picks. Right. This draft will have a lot better viewers, a lot more viewership than the previous two or three, simply because of the situation we're in. Everybody can bitch and moan. Remember what happened with Roger Goodell? Everybody was bitching and moaning to him, and the and the GMs were bitching and moaning to him. He still said, guys, get ready for the draft. It's happening. Bettman is doing the same thing. There is nobody that could overrule him. But but again, as I wrote and I've repeatedly said, Russ, and I know you and I disagree on this, you have a difference because the season had ended in the NFL. You have a sure. sub period of a season that has not ended yet, and I disagree with you. Trades are a very big part of the draft. Leading up to the draft and on draft day, mm-hmm. they have a, they have an impact in terms of what teams are going to do. And you're at a period now where nobody's dealing RFAs potentially because how are you going to deal a guy in an RFA that you don't know if you're making the playoffs or not making the playoffs? You you have material impact. How many RFAs get dealt anyhow? Really One a season? Two a season? But you're removing the possibility. And you're, you're going to get viewership anyway. You guys, as, as Mike said, you're not getting NFL viewership. There's no way on God's no, earth that's happening because you don't have that many people are interested. I understand that Bettman wants to maintain interest and he wants to, in essence, take take advantage of a period of time where there is nothing else going on where he thinks he has a captive audience to try to restore uh, maybe past glory to the NHL in terms of viewership. That's, that's, that's a wonderful idea and it's a noble idea. I just disagree with the approach of what they're doing because I think, look, Goodell to a certain extent did strong arm the GMs, mm-hmm. but I do think that because of the fact that you had a completed season, you already had free agency that happened, you were, you were dealing with a totally different animal than what you have right now in the NHL. Well, but, I, think I, about, but think about this. If you don't do it this way, are you going to furlough everybody that works in a front office and scouts and then say, we'll bring you back in October and then literally give them a week or two weeks, or three weeks to find a new job. You know how many scouts will be out of work next year? It will, it will be ridiculous. It, you, none of that serves anything. Teams have to do you know evaluations. Nobody's talking about a time period for any of those things. They're just saying, hey, this isn't good because the season's not over. But they don't talk about all this other business that has to occur every season, and it has to occur by June 30th for a reason. Well, I'll give you so two. Let me, wait, wait, it's one question. Mike, Mike Plus, then would you then would you move up the date of the draft, or would you still keep it at the end of June? Then is there a reason oh, no, to it's move it be up? Also, week. it's going to be the first well, week. But no, I'm asking you, would you still why why move it up then? Why not just? Keep I'll tell it you why you want to move if it. You're going to go that rationale. Okay, I am moving it up so 
teams now have to sort of kick it in gear. So they have to decide on all the other things that are remaining out there, like these trades that they have made and conditions. And so they can get their front offices ready again to do everything. If you wait till the end of June, they're going to, things are going to be kind of like in a, in a way it'll, it'll be havoc I, 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 and do it all in a two week period. Yeah. I, I think there's, I think there's another factor here. They want to move it up to early June because they're under the assumption that they might be able to start the playoffs by the beginning of July. And they don't want to have right. at the end of June, have the draft and then five days later, start, start the, the, the remainder of the season, whether it be the playoffs or the regular season. We'll talk about that. In a second. And, I, and I think the other factor is if the rumors of baseball coming back beginning of July, they clearly don't want to take any chance of having to compete with some form of spring training going on then also. Right. Now, what, what I, I, I look at in terms of, and I've heard this talked about before, and I, I sort of agree with um, if these teams are a couple of the teams that have problems with the June draft, a team, and, and you can say tough, but when you're the Montreal Canadiens and you have 14 draft picks, and apparently the plan of Mark Bergevin was to go out and trade some of those draft picks. I think they, they have three second-round picks. They were going to trade some of those draft picks to get players under contract because we know how tough it is for, for Montreal to get players to sign there because you know their fans are lunatics. Um, they can't do that. They could trade picks this year for, for future picks and move that to next year, but they would have to basically draft 14 picks because, or or maybe trade up to get higher picks. That's That, that option's there because they have all these extra picks, but they wanted to trade picks for players. Uh, conversely, Tampa Bay is right up against the cap this year. They need to sign Sorelli and Sergachev to uh, free agent deals. They're restricted free agents. They might have wanted to do something like they did last year where they traded J.T. Miller. They might have wanted to trade Tyler Johnson or Palat or Cologne or somebody like that and clear space. They can't do that because the player has to be uh, has to be on their roster until after the season is completed. I'll, I'll let Jan answer this. The breaking news is they're going to open Friday, Mike. Not all of them, but there are some NBA facilities opening Friday. Go ahead, Jan. Okay. But, I, but, but, Jan, address that because I think – that those teams are at a distinct disadvantage. And, and, okay, nobody foresaw this scenario. Nobody foresaw the league getting shut down. Nobody foresaw the fact that the draft wouldn't take place. But those teams are being screwed. Um, I mean, I think – I don't want to say screwed, but but I do agree with you that it, that it does add additional layers of complexity in terms of what they have to decide, you know. Tampa Bay may have a whole different view in terms of the direction they go in if they won the cup, right? Yeah. That, that changes your mindset and parameters in terms of what you're going to decide. If you've won the cup, you may say, you know what? We may bring the guys back to try to win again. Or we may say, you know what? Now now that we've won the cup, we can, we can now kind of move or shuttle guys off the team because we've now have the cup in place. Now you're going in the period where you don't have a final conclusion and you're trying to project out what you're going to do in the future based upon not having final answers, right. which, which, yeah, there is a handful of teams that are falling into that, that realm, and it makes life that much harder for them, especially teams that are cap-constrained potentially right now. The rumors of the cap dropping from the 84 to 85 next year down to 81.5 maybe this year also is going to have a material impact. And then we talked about before, look at all the trades that were made at the deadline or, or trades not made at the deadline based upon where play teams were in the standings and what the expected cap was, now you're going to have teams that are going to have to scramble to make moves because of the fact you've had a material alteration 
on what was projected based upon a factor they didn't they didn't consider in terms of the original decision making. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. I mean, it's going to be difficult for everyone. The shit happens category. Yeah, sure, but but I think I think yeah, I, I yes, there's no knowns and there's unknown unknowns, right? I get it, right? But you're also talking here where you know the, the there there are decisions that are made that could impact an organization for for not just the one year. Clearly, it's it's a potential several year impact to an organization based upon the moves that they make. No, that's fair. Um, remember Arizona, they have to decide on that. Probably we'll hear about that in the next day or two. They're going to obviously get impacted on this draft for the scandal that they had. And and that's a, a very serious one because if you don't deal with that the right way, you're going to be opening the door for other teams to try and get away with that in the future. Let's that If that impacts them negatively, that's on them, man. Let's talk about that no, for I, a minute, Let, just for a minute here. Um, because, I mean, Yes, there's going to have to be a ruling before the season starts, uh, before the draft, on that Arizona situation. And if people don't remember, uh, the Coyotes were found to have been illegally testing some players, some prospects who were playing for CHL, USHL teams. Uh, that was against, that's against the CBA. It's you know that all that kind of testing is done at the combine. Now there was no combine, so in a way, this whole situation with the with the combine being shut down even gives the Coyotes even more of an advantage because nobody else got to find out a player's wingspan or their or their VO2 or how high they jump. They have some of those some of those measurables based on what they were doing sort of under under the under the radar, and. The, the the difficulty here, Russ, is, and I think I told you this yesterday, was that Arizona traded their first round pick already. They mm -hmm. traded it in the Taylor Hall deal. So the most they could get penalized this year would be a second round pick, or it could be multiple picks, or it could be a combination of that and the first round pick, or it could simply be fines. And I think that the, the penalty uh, was $250,000 per instance. And they were saying there's multiple instances. So I'm not sure the way Bettman is going to go, but he doesn't want to alienate the new ownership of the Coyotes. So it's going to be a question of what he wants to do and how harsh he wants to be in terms of penalizing them. I mean, I think they're going to end up penalizing them the second and third round picks of this year and, and maybe some cash. And it's all going to fall on John Chica. And, and you know what? John Chaika's job could be in trouble as a result. See, my view on this is I, I agree with you, Russ, second and third. I just don't think he'll do it in the same year. I think if they, ha if they had given up, if they hadn't traded their first, especially with the new owner coming in, I could have seen them giving up the second this year. I think he's going to do, I think he'll, he'll make them give up a third this year, a second next year. Maybe. I think he'll find them based upon the number of instances with a slight discount, right? So if it's 20, 25 people, multiply that by the 250 and then do a haircut. So figure somewhere maybe a three to four million dollar fine could be something that he does also. Yeah, I don't disagree. If it's a three or four million dollar fine, I, I think John Chica will lose his job. I don't think that owner wants to pay anything close to that, but I can't say it won't be because you might be right. And but I think I think Chica's job is in trouble if anything is severe here. But the balance here is you know, pissing off the Arizona owner in terms of a fine or um or suspending Chica or uh, you know, draft picks or whatever. And if they're too lenient on Arizona, everybody else in the league being pissed off that you know, like they got away with bloody murder and you're not gonna do anything. Okay, let's go we'll do the same damn thing. Well, he, he, he can always make the fine payable over a certain period of time, right? right. I mean, yeah, I hit him with a five million dollar fine initially, 
Yes. You could have a payment like for five year payment plan almost, right? And then yeah. go to that go that route. You can go that route. I mean, I just look at it this way. If it's not severe against Arizona, you've got a team out of Seattle. Who's monitoring them? It's true. The Krakens. <laughs> the murder hornets. And I need to the see murder hornets is my idea, just so you know. The Metropolitan. One more one more emblem of the murder hornets. I mean, you know, I think this is the end of days. Murder hornets in in, in it Washington seems like, State. It seems like they're still only in Washington State, so let's not get crazy about Lo that. Locusts in Africa. It's like, Jesus. What's They've always been in Africa. Come on, Mike. I know. It. Here's the other thing, and we could let Jan comment on this before he has to go. The, the draft is now going to 2012 rules, so Detroit has a 57% chance to get the first pick. I don't have a problem with it because you know what? Detroit did start this season trying to play, and about 20 games in, it was clear that they stunk. I don't think they tanked as hard as Buffalo. I have no problem with them having the biggest chance at this. I don't know about you guys. Um, I think the bigger issue is, this, is the trickle-down impact of where teams can move up to in the draft also, right? And look, I've written several blogs in it based upon pure speculation. Until we get more of a hard hard bit of information in terms of who who's making the playoffs, that really needs to be decided, right? Right. What what the playoffs in terms of number of teams and how it's going to look like in terms of divisions or conferences, and then then which teams don't make the playoffs, and based upon that, how far up they can move in the draft. A lot of this is speculation, but the ability to only move up four slots is kind of, in my opinion, insufficient based upon look. Rangers got lucky, moved up and got Kako. Carolina got lucky and moved up and got Svechnikov. Right, part of the part of the allure of even if you don't win, if you if you even where you finish is the ability to move up in that lottery yeah. is, is an alluring is an alluring um, quotient. Right, you you have the ability where oh my god I'm I'm 12th but I have no shot. No, you have a small shot. But you still have a shot. And I say guess what? You finish 14th. Well, you can only move up to 10. Seems a bit draconian in terms of processing. They should be a bigger ability. To move up and down in the draft, based but teams have a better ability to make the playoffs, Jan. And I think if you have to balance that, yes, you would, the team would rather have a better chance at the playoffs than moving up four more spots in a draft. But, and, but, right, but again, it depends on if you're finishing the regular season. If you're not, they're not where you they are, are now. Right. Well, so well, where you are now, that's why you have to decide what the playoffs look like right this moment. Right. If you are going to go with the plan of the 24 teams and six in each division, well, guess what? My Rangers may have the 15th best record but they actually should be seventh worst because they're not going to make the playoffs where you slot in them in terms of the feed, in terms of where you're going to draft. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, you have to determine that you can't no, leave no, that gray. Mike, Mike, tell them what you told me this morning that pretty much was a guarantee to you. And what we've always thought that there are no playoffs. Well, for no, no more regular season. Rather. For, first, we saw the letter that was issued by the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, right. Basically. And that was also issued a very similar one. Right, where they're refunding or crediting their, their mm -hmm. season ticket base for the remaining games, saying that you can apply it towards next year. That tells me they're, big not, they're not planning on playing the regular season games. Right. You know, the only money or, that – Or they're not playing it in a location where there's going to be fans. Right. Or they're not, or they're not, they're not playing in the home arenas. There will be no fans. Or you're playing it in an alternate location, right? So that's, that's part of the equation you have to factor in. If you still want to cling to that, I don't think that I don't think it's going to happen though. But I but I, let, let's say, so let's say you end the regular season with teams playing anywhere between sixty eight and let's say seventy games. Right, right. So now you have to decide. Okay, who is actually making the playoffs? Anybody who doesn't make the playoffs are those who are eligible for the lottery. You mm -hmm. have to make that call before the lottery. 
Apparently, oh, yeah, it's going to be. Absolutely. Apparently, the, apparently the worst case scenario for some of the governors at the Board of Governors meeting was using the, the, you know, the current lottery scenario, having a team that was borderline win the lottery and then have them play regular season games, make the playoffs and win the right. Stanley Cup. So right. you can never, and I see that would be that would be that would make the league look like a joke. Right, it which was. is why you have to decide what the game plan is, right? You need to – all of this needs to be determined before they make an announcement, right? Before the – It's going to be. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Right. Right? You need to say, okay, if you're saying top 24, 24 teams make the playoffs, top six in each division, and we'll use that because that's what's been reported. None of us know how accurate that is or whether or not that's going to be it. The teams that are the bottom seven teams, those that are the seven teams that should be in the lottery – regardless of where they stand in the current standings if you just use points. Well, the other thing the other thing was the way they laid out the percentages for the lottery. They were they were considering the top 15 teams eligible to move up the four slots. Which, which, and they, which, and, right. Right, and they, and they only said 16 teams were the playoff. That 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 flies in the face of a 20 game or 20 team or 24 team playoff because they're only right. negating the 16 teams in the usual traditional playoff format. Right. So, that, that, and again, that's why I said all of this right now is pure speculation because nothing formally has come out in terms of the number of playoffs. We do know, and the only reason why I mentioned the 24 teams is because we know that prospect has been thrown out there. If you're right. going with the 16 teams and you're going with the percentage number of points they could have earned based upon the games played as being the driver, that will impact the the standings right now based upon points versus games played. Well, of all the of all the playoff scenarios that have been mentioned, 20 team, 24 team, 16 team, whatever, the most asinine is the six play the six teams in each division with oh, yeah. the, with the first and second teams playing a three-game series to determine who wins the division. Oh, like they're really going to like they're really going to play their top players to have Boston and Tampa Bay beat up each other to to have Whoever is the top seed in a in a neutral zone situation, a neutral neutral uh, site situation, absolutely meaningless. And then having playoff fortunes determined by best of three series. I I think it's a, it, it's a jackass move if the NHL did that. And I don't think they're going to, but it was no, I don't either. So, Same all right, um, we'll do a couple right, other guys. things here. Okay, okay we'll talk to you later. Um, couple of well, we we talked about. Uh, well, let me just mention this because mm -hmm. uh, in the conference call that I, I got a, uh, I heard uh, this afternoon with uh, Justin Hall, one of the Leaf uh, defensemen, um, he was asked a question regarding, um, you know, the it, apparently Justin Trudeau has said that if players cross into Canada, meaning American players or mm -hmm. Swedish players or Russian players, mm -hmm. they're going to have to go through 14 days of self-quarantine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I said that um, yesterday, actually. Yeah, J Justin Hall, who lives in Minnesota, basically said that if he hears, you know, if there's a concrete plan and that is the rule that, you know, players outside of Canada will have to self-quarantine for 14 days, that as soon as the plan is set in stone, he's getting in his car and driving over the Canadian border to – make the wind like to, so he, he could cross the border on June the 1st. So by the 14th, he's ready to be able to play. But that's going to be dumb to do that because I think he's going to find that he's not going to be at the Leafs facility 
and it's going to be somewhere else. So I think he's thinking the wrong way. Uh, I think what Trudeau is really talking about are the people that went back to Canada that are going to go back to the U.S. and the people that might be flying through Canada from other countries to get to the U.S. I think that's what or maybe, you know, again, maybe some of the euros are in Canada still. Right. They'll have to wait 14 days to get to the U.S. But I think most everything is going to happen in the U.S. I'll be surprised if any of it happens in Canada. Well, I mean, I know that they, because um, Frederick Anderson has been interviewed and Austin Matthews has been interviewed and they're both in Arizona right now. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, Anderson didn't want to go back to Denmark because, um, you know, flying to Europe at that point, I don't know if it was shut down, but he decided Matthews invited him to, to Arizona and it was better to go to Arizona than stay in his condo in, uh, in Toronto. Right. Um, but when they both go back to Canada, they're going to be have they're going to have to be under quarantine for 14 days. There was some talk of them like being able to practice with like the Arizona Coyotes players in Arizona because they're already there and everything's informal, but if there's that 14-day window, you have to get to your you know, your host city, your you're the city that you're in to be able to knock out that time to not be able, not to confirm that you're not infected. And, you know, two weeks is a long period of time for these players to be dormant. Even, especially with the fact that they haven't probably been able to stay in shape for over six, seven weeks. So I, I, I don't know. It's going to, it's going to be a, an odd, an odd situation. And that's why I, th- I, I, I would think that there would be some sort of special dispensation here because we're talking about, you know, professional sports, but, you know, if, if, if Trump and if Trudeau are going to hold to the same line as every normal person, then that's another hurdle that these major sports are going to have to cross. And to be honest, I think that's what's going to happen at least at the beginning. So that's why I think in the end, if you think about it, the easiest way is to have it all occur in the U S you will have the least amount of players quarantined as a result. There'll be some Canadians, sure, but all the Euros then could fly straight into the U.S. It's a much quicker, cleaner way to get the season going. Don't you agree? Yeah, and, I mean, somebody in the chat says it's hilarious, Mike. You don't have to wait five years for Matthews to go back to Phoenix. Ha, 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 please. (laughs) My God. I mean, just please drop it. Um, But, no, I mean, I I think the the NHL and every professional sport is going to look for the most expeditious way to get back on the ice or get back on the field. Now they don't want they don't want the appearance of special treatment, but they're going to get special treatment. Right. They are. They're going to get testing. You've got the the Prime Minister of Canada. You've got the President of the United States both saying in a in a way that getting professional sports back is important, especially with a lot of people who are shut in right now need distraction because you know they're getting uptight being cloistered in 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 their houses for for weeks on end you may not think it's important it's important so i i mean, we'll see what happens everything everything changes every single day so we'll i'm sure well, i mean we if we go back to that for a moment um i think right now we're going to have to live with detroit having the best chance and most likely getting the first overall pick and then Ottawa probably getting the second overall pick. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way it's probably going to go. And then after that, yeah, I mean, there's not going to be a ton of intrigue 
for the top five picks. The only way there could be intrigue is if somehow Ottawa well, – I don't think there's a way they can't get the second pick now. So I think the only way there would be intrigue is if Ottawa doesn't want Byfield and someone wants to trade him that pick for Byfield and – that pick would probably have to be the third or fourth because I don't think they would trade down that much. And they probably would have to give up a ton. I don't think it's feasible. I think, you know, we talked about it yesterday offline, the Rick Nash thing that I alluded to the other day. I don't think you're going to see that occur in this draft. And I, we haven't seen it occur in the cap era. And I just think right now, those first two picks are locked in. I think three and four, there's a little bit of jostling. But outside of five, I don't think anybody's drafting into the top five. And I know there's fans that and outlets that are writing about guys that might go in the top 12, 15, 20. If you're a playoff team and you think your team has a chance to go a round or two in the playoffs, then you're drafted in the 20s and you're not getting those guys. Now, it is a deep draft. Don't get me wrong. And you'll get a good player, but you're not getting a hundred point guy or somebody like that in the 20s. Now, if you think you could trade up for a guy like that, like it's the Sean Couturier days, you can't. So I'm just saying, like we talked about this the other day, Mike, how often can a team, especially now, let's, you also have to talk about what the landscape is. The landscape is you can't move up more than four spots, right? Right. So if you can't move up more than four spots, the price went up to move up more than any other year in recent memory. Agreed? Yes. So, you know, if you look at that and you say, okay, Let's say there's a team that wants to move up eight spots. You can't go by what previous offers were to do that. If you're going to want to move up eight spots, you're going to be giving up multiple picks. Right. And to be honest, when teams have like a lot of sixes and sevens, it's not going to get it done. Teams with a lot of twos and threes might be able to get something like that done. Right. It doesn't seem to be like the NFL where they have that formula. That no, they don't. Yeah, they, they don't. It's like, I mean, for example – um, I believe, well, okay. Kansas city and, and this proved out to be a great, a great move for them because they drafted Mahomes. Right. But, uh, Kansas city was in the twenties. They traded up with the bills. I think the bills were like in the low teens, like 17, 18, 19. I don't remember the exact number, but they traded up a significant, significant number of spots. So say 10 spots. They had to give up their number one the following year. To right. get, move up 10 spots to get Patrick Mahomes. Now, obviously, it's turned out to be worth it. It wasn't worth it for Chicago to trade for Mitch Trubisky because they traded a whole ton of picks to move up to, I think it was one spot to, to get Trubisky, and he's been a bust. In the NHL, I don't know if even if Ottawa has the number two pick, if they have the number two and the number four, and Detroit's got the number one, even though Detroit needs talented bodies. They're not going to trade a two and a four, uh, the one for a two and a four. No, I mean, I think what people are forgetting is this is Iserman's era now, and he really needs that star that he picks right. to lead the franchise. Yeah, the only way the only way they do that deal is if Iserman knows something that everybody else doesn't and thinks that Lafreniere is going to be a bust. And then he said, right. and, he, and he loves Byfield, and he says, okay, I'm willing to do that. That's going out on a limb. Now, we know Iserman has got, you know, I mean, he's his job is as safe as anybody in Detroit. He's a legend there. He's going to have a lot of rope to work with, but I don't think he's going to do that, especially them being starved for star. No, so let's work with this. In 17, when the Flyers traded up to get Isaac Radcliffe, 
Arizona got the 44th, 75th, and 108th. That was in 2017, and that was just to get the 35th overall pick. The price is going to be higher to move up in the first round of this draft. Now, so it was a two the bottom, though. Like, if you want to move into 27, 8, 9, 30, 31, that won't be as bad. But if you want to get to like 20, it's going to cost you, man. So it was a two, a three, and a four to move up like nine spots or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, see, the, th- the thing is, and I was, I was, talking this over with a, a, a friend of mine who's talking about like, there are some GMs out there that, you know, and this isn't analytics, but this is just asset management. If they love, you know, it's, it's the evalu- it's the evaluation process of the general manager who, if they think that there are players that they like just as much at say 28 or 29, and they have the 23rd pick that they'll trade down and they'll get that extra second or extra third or whatever but that's based on their, their their ability to scout and their knowledge of the draft, and sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't work. With the Leafs, a few years ago, it worked with with uh, they traded down with St. Louis. I think St. Louis took Dominic Bach with their pick. They moved up to take Dominic Bach, and the Leafs traded down lower in the first round and got Rasmus Sandin, and that was the guy that they apparently wanted all along. But they knew he was going to be at the bottom of the first round. And that ended up paying off for them. So I mean, that's those are moves that you know that general managers will take calcul- calculated risks, and uh, you know it's I, I think it's you know the, that that's the that's the prerogative of a general manager. Right now, to also you know talk about the trades thing again, there were no trades on day one last year, and there were three on day two: Subban, J.T. Miller, Patrick Marlowe. Right. Those were the day two trades. I mean, it's not like you're watching this this television broadcast for trades. No, you're- but we, we come on. We've been I've been at five consecutive drafts. There have been some block, but it's most of the time they happen the day the day of or the day before. But there are ones that happen during you know second in the second day. Everybody is just anxious to get the hell out of there, mm-hmm. and it's, and usually it's. They're more minor deals, but I think it's the lead. It, it, I think it's the lead up to it, Russ, and the fact that they're not all going to be in the same place, and they can't trade players, is the factor. Now, uh, we'll tell you, there's a couple questions in the chat, but I'll, okay. let, let's just talk about this first. Um, uh, uh, signing by the Florida Panthers, uh, Gregory Dennis De, De, uh, De, excuse me. Yeah, I'm sorry. Easy uh, to say, right? Yeah, easy to say. Fifteenth uh, overall pick in twenty eighteen draft. He's been playing with Locomotive the last couple of years. Not great stats, but that's not that's not determinative in terms of how good of a player he is. Um, you know, he's not a big player, 5'10", 180 pounds, but a lot of ability. Uh, what, do, what do you? Th- you know, now they probably bring him over to North America. Although it's, I guess it's possible he could stay over in Russia, and he just they just uh, you know wait another year if they think that would do him good. No, well, I think they want to bring him over. I think that's been the talk all along um i've spoken on air with, with brian mccabe about him more than more than a few times we got to remember the first thing is it's fair to say hey not great stats but i also think it's fair to say he's only 19 right most people are treating him like he's 20 or 21 or 22 saying not great stats he's only 19 so right. he's been playing in professional ranks for a few years now at the age of 19 he has great speed he has really good stick handling ability and he could score he definitely could score goals. He definitely could set up plays. He has good vision, really good vision, but he could streak down the ice 
and get things happening, put the defense on their heels. And those are the kinds of things I think you're going to see Denisenko do. And, you know, as an example, like in the World Juniors, he was nine points in seven games. Right. He will be an impact player in a year, maybe two. But I think if you bring him over now, you see what he looks like with the NHL club next year. If he doesn't look great, you could throw him in the AHL for the entire season. Right, because he's because he's a European player and yeah. his yeah. So and I think that's the way to go. Throw him in the AHL and and let let's see what he can do. And you know what? Good way. This is smart. Bring him over. But if he, you know, look, if Quenville thinks he could do something with him and use him now, you know he's going to. So I, I think this is a way for Dale Talon to get more speed on the ice. Maybe this is their future replacement for Trocek scoring wise. And so, you know, you have to look within sometimes. And I think this is smart. He might, he might more be a replacement for a guy like Hoffman. If, you know, yeah, I mean, but you know what I'm saying? Just yeah, no, in terms of pure numbers. Sure. Just for pure numbers. That's no, all I'm talking about. Let me, let me ask this. This is just a tangent. Then we'll cover the two questions here. Uh, a couple questions in the chat. Um, Denisenko's 19. Nylander was 18, I think, turning 19 when he came over a few years ago and went right into the AHL with the Marlies. Uh, the Leafs have done that with Liljegren and Sandine. We've seen yeah. with uh, with uh, younger players with the Sabres. I think, I'm pretty sure that one of their high picks was uh, – God, who was it? It was one of the one of their first round picks that they, they sent him down to, to Rochester when he was under 20. That's a distinct advantage for organizations to be able to send down young players, but that's because they don't apply to the CHL-NHL agreement. We know that they they just extended that. The same one, though. Right, but the talk was of each team having one exception to the to the rule in terms of like if the Leafs wanted to have Nick Robertson playing in the American Hockey League he was the guy okay he's not he doesn't turn 20 until September 11th 2021 yeah um you know he can't play he can't play in the American Hockey League until he's 20 because of his right. birthday right and if they think that that's going to benefit his career to play against adults as a 19-year-old, instead of either playing 10 games in the NHL or going back to Peterborough, I think teams should have that option. But right now that agreement prevents it. What they could do with Robertson is play him like the 30 games and see where he's at. Because the Leafs, they could burn some eligibility and it's not going to kill them. And they may do that. And but my, say- my, my question is, though, shouldn't, shouldn't these teams have – the right in a renegotiated CHL NHL agreement to have one player that they say, okay, that that rule does not apply. No, because it affects the other leagues. That's why yeah. these things exist. Well, I mean, see, that's the thing. I think the NHL is looking at their own best interest. I mean, they yeah, but you have to also take into account yeah. that other league. And even though you may be funding that other league, think about how much better the AHL is because a lot of the great European players and some college players get to play over there and excite those fans for at least a season. That's good. That's really good for business. Well, you take one, that away, 
that's going to hurt the AHL, who's already in desperate. Well, no, 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 no. What I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying is this will help the AHL because since CHL players who are ready to play professional hockey would play in the AHL instead of playing with Peterborough. There would be some, but there wouldn't. I, I don't think there would be a ton because again, most of the reason, you know, again, I think with someone like Robertson, it's just about strength. Right. If, if he was strong enough there would be no consideration for the AHL or anything. He'd be in the NHL and they may try and force it anyhow. And that's why I say, you know what, if you're going to force it, look at him and give him 30 games. And if he's not producing, then you know what, then you can send him back to juniors and say, Hey, look, we gave you a long look. We ate up some eligibility for you. That'll help you at the end of this cycle for you contract wise, but you have to go back to the CHL. That's just the way it is. I think that's the best way to handle that kid right now with the Leafs. I do. I letting them play a whole CHL season. Obviously. I also think one of the aspects that probably general managers are not really talking about right now, but we know that it's probably a factor in why they want the draft after the season and with the ability to trade players is the expansion draft. Because right now it's like, I mean, the teams are going to probably get less value for players in trades in September and October because they know that they're facing a situation where Seattle can pick the, these players off of their roster next July. And, you know, that they want, they probably would want the ability to be able to move these players in if they had this, like if they have two goaltenders and they can't protect them, or if they have five defensemen and they can only protect three, that they would want to preemptively make deals to be able to sort of clear up that situation. But now, with everything the way it's possibly going to be laid out, we don't know whether, you know, the teams could get pennies on the dollar for players that they probably would get more for if everything had happened as, as it usually does. Yeah, um, I do want to mention a couple days ago was the um, date for the five-overtime game the Flyers played in the playoffs. Yeah. If you want to hear more about that um, on the Stick to Hockey podcast, either you could look that up or just go to YouTube and, and look that up. But when we had Keith Jones on, he talked about that, and that may be good. I don't know what your memory of it is, but mine was basically just trying to stay awake that game. I fell asleep in the fourth overtime and then woke up when they scored the goal. And that's what happened to a lot of people. Um, but I, I got a text about it yesterday because a friend of mine was covering it in Pittsburgh, and and he was covering it with a guy, this guy Fran, who no longer is around. He he's departed, unfortunately, he passed away probably three, four years ago, maybe five now. Mm-hmm. Um, he drove back after that game to Philadelphia after a five overtime game. Even I wouldn't have done that. Apparently, he slept a little bit in the. Um, at one of the rest stops, but man, that's what it was like back then. And well, <laughs> a crazy game. I, I can only tell you this when uh, the year, I think it was the year before the Marley. No, no, maybe in the year of, it was either 2017 or 2018. There was a, fu- a three overtime game uh, that I was covering for hockey buzz. It was a Marley's overtime game. So it was AHL and you know, media has the pregame meal. They have it usually around, you know, five o'clock. And uh, it was going around 1230. And, and, all, and all the popcorn was gone. All Everything was gone. The concession stands were closed. They had to bring us food because everybody was starving in the press box, which was very nice of the Marley's yeah. staff to do. All right, quick, two quick questions and we have to go. Uh, Richard Petrosky in the chat 
draft day question, will there be a lot of player to be named later trades? I don't think the NHL is going to allow those. Because no, they're that, not going to allow those. Yeah, because that would be trading a player. So, okay, use, use Buffalo as an example. Uh, we're going to trade Kyle Oposo. For a player for a draft pick to be named later, or we're going to acquire a second round pick for a player to be named later, and that's Caliposo. Okay, the problem is, is that Caliposo, you know, like if they if the Sabres in some 20 or 24 team playoff format make it and Caliposo breaks his leg, right? That's a problem. It's a problem. So I do want to mention this to you, Mike. Um, in 2008, a guy named Dwayne Susie covered uh, the longest game in AHL history for. For sportsology, and that was a game. It was at the Times Union Center, yeah, in Albany. Mm-hmm. And Michael Layton made 98 saves, <laughs> which is still the AHL record. Scott yeah. Monroe of the Phantoms, if you remember him, he was from like Alabama Huntsville. He stopped 65 of 67. The Phantoms won that game 3-2, but Michael Layton made 98 saves. Yes. And I remember, I remember Dwayne saying he was still at the game, and like, like you just said, everything runs out. And I've been at those games where everything runs out. But he filed that story at like three in the morning, and I put it up because I couldn't believe a guy made ninety-eight saves. And I, I got home at like three thirty in the morning after that game. Oh, yeah. uh, okay, uh, quick questions here, Mark Peterson. Would the NHL put a compliance buyout in place for next season to alleviate some of the cap crunch. According to the reports, it seems so. the owners don't want it because yeah. they're basically creating more dead money. They, If they're paying these guys, they want them on the road. I, they're either in favor of a salary rollback where everybody rolls back, say, 10% or um, some sort of luxury tax. So I don't think it's going to float. But I'm, until we hear otherwise, I'm going to write stories about the compliance buyouts. Uh, right. Last one. Davy Jones, do you think Dale Talon will be fired soon? I, I don't think. I so. don't think so. No, yeah, they're probably gonna. They're if it, you know if they if it's a twenty team playoff format, they make the playoffs. Um, and I, I think the heat off too. Right. I don't think the Bobrovsky deal looks great right now, but you know if he has a good playoff, then it looks fine. But he's got six more years of ten million bucks. I I, I wrote that I thought he could be bought out, but that Dale Talon might as well put his pink slip in by, by suggesting he buy out. Right. Yeah, he's not going to do that. So yeah, he's safe for, I think another year, but uh, you know, after that, if they don't have a great deal of success, they're, they're in trouble. He's in trouble. You know who Joel Quenville can save his, his long-term viability there. Yeah. That's what could happen. All right. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 AM with Peter Harling talking uh, about some draft stuff. Heavy uh, draft show. Yep. Heavy draft show, so tune in and ask some questions. Uh, for about Tyler Biggs and and other draft picks. No, current draft picks, not Josh Levo. Not for not Josh Levo. Josh Levo wasn't a bust, but Tyler. No, Biggs. he was a good pick. He was a good pick, third round. Uh, for the departed Jan Levine and Russ Cohen, I'm Michael Agello. Thanks for watching, and remember, without the buzz. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware.